0: Hi! Welcome to the first ever live show of A Murderous Affair. Um, my name is Gabrielle. This is very fancy and much higher quality than anything I've ever done before, but it's super exciting. But A Murderous Affair is a podcast where I talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. Um, I'm super excited to be here at ScaredyCon and just want to thank Taproom 120, um, ScaredyCast, and literally everybody else behind the scenes who is helping sponsor and make this thing happen because it's amazing. Um, Anyway, quick little spiel for those of you guys who don't know who or what this podcast is about. Um, Basically, I love true crime and I'm a huge history nerd. And I was absolutely sick of hearing about Ted Bundy. If I have to hear one more story about Ted Bundy, then I'm going to scream. So I decided that it's time for other people to be heard. And uh, who else is less mentioned in history than various women around the world? Um, So in this podcast, I like to focus on either female murderers or rebels or people who were just kind of labeled as rejects of society in some kind of way, shape or form. And uh, talk about them and kind of give everybody a little history lesson while we do it. And for those of you guys who have listened before, thank you. And if you haven't and this is your first exposure to Emerges Affair, then welcome. Thanks for checking it out. Uh, hopefully you enjoy. So for today, I thought it'd be really cool if we talked about various women in horror movies and the real-life stories that they're based off of. Uh, There are going to be two stories. I was going to try and do three, but the first story is so twisty and just convoluted that I'm actually just going to focus on that one entirely. And then we'll throw in a fun little supernatural one at the end. First up, we've got The Orphan. I'm sure plenty of you guys have seen the movie. This was the first horror movie that I was able to actually watch without it scarring me entirely because I watched Final Destination entirely too young and I had no idea what the movie was about until people started getting their heads chopped off. Um, So that scarred me for life and this was the first one I could actually watch entirely the whole way through and actually enjoy. So next, leaning into the more spooky Halloween type of nature, we're talking about the movie Veronica, which came out in 2017. It's a uh, Spanish-based horror film. Um, I think it's on Netflix, you can watch it there. Or at least it was at one point. But it's loosely based on the 1991 Vallecas case when Estefania Gutierrez Lazaro mysteriously died after using an Ouija board. And there's actual police reports from investigators saying that they had to just mark this down as a supernatural occurrence, and that's how she died, was just due to some kind of supernatural entity. And I thought that was fascinating. So we're going to talk about her as well. Um, And start off with the orphan. Like I said, I was going to do three. We're just going to narrow it down to two because the real-life story of the orphan, her name is Barbara Skrlova, is entirely convoluted and crazy and somehow the movie is so much tamer than real life in this situation. Pretty much everyone knows the plot to The Orphan but if you guys don't, I'll give a quick summary. Basically, devastated by the loss of their unborn baby, Kate and John decide to adopt a child. At the orphanage, they both feel drawn to Esther and they take their new daughter home. But when a dangerous series of events unfold, Kate begins to suspect that there is something evil lurking beneath the child's angelic exterior. Um, And this part is spoilers, but I feel like it's been out long enough that it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, Esther isn't actually a child at all. She's a 33-year-old woman who suffers from hypopituitarism, which is a hormonal disorder that stunted her growth and essentially just made her look like a child. Um, And it is with that detail, everyone, that we go on to the true life story of Barbara Barbara Skrlova. She was also 33. For some reason, that number just sticks out. But the 33-year-old woman who would pose as a 13-year-old child and fold multiple adopted families, group homes, authorities, counselors, a bunch of people in the Czech Republic and in Norway. And her story is really mysterious because there actually is a difference in the American sto- like American news and the way that the, I found like mostly either American or Canadian people report this story and the way that the European news and coverage of this story happens. So there's almost like two separate stories depending on what internet source or where you are in the world and how you're looking up uh, what happened to her. So up until her involvement with the Maurova family, we know nothing about her history. Um, And even then, the timeline of her early life is very confusing. Some people or some articles write that there was an adoptive family that she was left with and then she was institutionalized. Some people write that it was um, actually her birth family that institutionalized her because they realized they couldn't care for her anymore. Um, But... All we know is at some point she was institutionalized and she escaped from that institution. And there's no details of how she escaped, why she escaped, if it was a solo attempt or if there was somebody on the inside helping her. It's just known that she escaped and we don't really have any other information. Also, as a side note, apparently the Mararova family was in a religious cult that Skrlova's father ran. Um, so it may not have been her impressive manipulation skills that let her get away with this whole like age, you know false identity thing, but more of the fact that she was like surrounded by religious um, cannibalistic, eventually weirdos. And yeah, this is even weirder than the movie. I don't know how like the orphan coverage in the story ended up being the most like mild adaptation of what really happened, but there's so much more when you actually look into the true story of Skrlova. Okay, so what I'm ambitiously calling the American version, the story goes something like this. Uh, Skrlova was committed to a psychiatric institution either by her parents or by an adoptive family. Um, This all takes place when she's in her early 30s. After somehow escaping the institution, she met one of the Mararova sisters uh, at a university where either they were teaching or they were studying to become a teacher. Um, Some say it was Clara, who actually ends up being the mother of the two boys. Later on, uh, we'll talk more about her. Or some say it was Katerina. And she, either way, she appealed to them, saying that she'd escaped from an abusive Norwegian sex cult and needed a place to stay. One of the sisters, whichever one, graciously offered her a place to stay in her home. Now, up until this point, Clara had been considered a good mother. She had her kids young, um, and she had also had a history of depression and been diagnosed with schizophrenia, but up until then like there was nothing saying that she was a you know a bad mother she was doing really good with her kids they were all reported to be very close however once skrlova arrived all of clara's attention switched to skrlova so she was saying that skrlova was saying that she had leukemia she had all of these diseases and she needed more care and attention and appealing to Clara, saying that she needed more of that motherly love because of her rough upbringing. Um, but Clara ended up just kind of centering everything about their family, about their whole life around Skurlova and what she needed. Um, Skurlova also would say that she needed uh, to go to the doctor, but wouldn't let Clara get involved. She only let Katerina, Clara's sister, Take her to the doctor and would return with like prescriptions or with uh, notes saying that this is what the doctor said you have to do. What's really interesting? None of these health issues existed. Obviously, we kind of all know that. But everything that she brought back as her like supposed treatment was actually forged by Katerina because surprise, um, there was no doctor that was going to sign off on that and Katerina actually knew that Skrlova was faking the illnesses I don't know if she knew like everything that she was faking like if she knew that really she was an adult pretending to be a child and just like running with it but either way she signed off saying yeah no this is what you need to do and helped trick her sister Clara into doing whatever Skrlova wanted for some reason Um, Skrlova basically adopted by Clara, adored by her, but her children, not so much. At this point, Clara had an eight-year-old boy and a ten-year-old boy, and neither of the boys liked Skrlova. They are reported to have constantly argued with her. They didn't like spending time with her. They didn't want her to be in the family. And this is, again, where I say you should really trust the judgment of children. They are very good at telling when something's up, Um, but they didn't. Uh, Skrlova basically started telling Clara how her two sons were the cause of all of her problems. Basically, if these two sons had been disciplined more or if they were you know, not around as much, everything Clara was experiencing, the depression, the loneliness she struggled with, um, the voices that she had reported hearing, all of that would go away because her two sons were the cause of all of her problems. Um and they needed to be disciplined more, and that would fix everything. And this is where the abuse started. Now, we're not gonna go into the gory details, but they were starved and beaten and locked in cages in the basement for hours at a time, while Skrlova convinced Clara, or so Clara says, convinced her that this would ultimately help shape them for the future, that this was something that she needed to do to be a good mother, and this is how they would learn from their mistakes. They, Clara decided to, in a shocking revelation of trying, I guess, to be a good mother, she said, oh, I'll go ahead and put a baby monitor down in the basement with a video so that I can keep an eye on the boys. Um, Obviously, that's not good parenting at all, but that's what she decided to do. And it was actually this baby monitor that would end up being their downfall. Um, I guess a next door neighbor of theirs had recently had a kid. And they ended up buying the same baby monitor that Clara recommended them. And somehow one day, like one night, the feeds of the monitors actually got crossed. So in the neighbor's feed, in the neighbor's baby monitor, he was able to see into the basement where the two sons were being held captive. And he saw that these kids were kept being kept in a basement and immediately called the police. Um, All of the children were supposedly rounded up, and this included the supposed 13-year-old Anna that Skrlova was posing as. And in the chaos, Skrlova was able to disappear. She arrived at the police station, and from there just kind of took off while everybody was distracted. Um, She fled to Norway... And on the way, ended up getting liposuction and a breast reduction, as well as shaving her head and binding, and binding her chest so that she could pass for a boy. And all right, that's the story that gets passed around from what I can tell mostly the American outlets. Um, If you look into, like, the international news outlets, like the Irish Times, um, some of the articles written in the U.K., you find a story that dives deeper into, like, religious cults and cannibalism, and it's just completely different than what I find most American outlets report. So, according to international newspapers, Skrlova was involved with the Mararova sisters because they were all part of this religious cult. Um, this is the cult called the Grail Movement. I haven't heard of it before this point, but their message was essentially quote, Grail members should free themselves by steadfast good volition, which would bring ascent into the light and allow them to work off their karmic burden. Um, I guess Skrlova's father was like the leader of their religious sect in that part of the Czech Republic. And um had taught them these principles. Meanwhile, Clara had tendencies to speak about being on a mission from God, and it seems like the three of them together were just kind of amping each other up and ultimately dove into the deep end of like religious idealism. Um, Another side note is that the Merlova sisters were in on Skrlova's child act. Um, Some people, like some of the international outlets report that Skrlova would uh, use this child act, use her hypopituitarism as a way to get, uh, avoid getting charged as an adult. She would get charged as a minor because she looked like a child. Um, And it was partially the reason why the sisters had her adopted because they were able to forge her identity as a 13-year-old named Anna. And that's how she got away with all these crimes. Well, at least Katarina is consistently mentioned when it comes to this. Um, Kalara has always claimed ignorance of uh, Skrlova being an adult and actually says that she thought that she was a child, but it's hard to say because obviously when all this broke, the three of them turned on each other very quickly. So again, we're not going to go into the deep details of the abuse that the kids suffered, but it was much worse than what was actually printed in the American newspapers. Like... Literally every type of abuse occurred in this home, and international newspapers do not hold back at all when mentioning it. Um, what was mentioned more there, especially, was the cannibalism involved. And, um, you can't find that side of the story in a lot of American outlets. For some reason, the European and, and international stories really honed in on that. Um, but one of the things that they would do after, um, at some point when they were abusing the boys would they would make them eat pieces of each other as well as eating the skin themselves, which is disgusting uh, and horrifying. And so we're going to mention that real quickly and then move on. But all this happened and all three were active participants no matter what. Like in both stories, it's mentioned that all three of them were active participants in uh, the abuse that the boys were undergoing. And in the international papers, there's another member of the Marova family who is talked about but remains unnamed? Like they never were identified in the presses. It was always just talking about the sisters and Skrlova. Oh, Some mention a doctor as well, like in a very like antagonistic, like oh that's the doctor type of way. Um, and they say that he was also like a behind-the-scenes cult leader who was uh, telling them and brainwashing them into performing these acts. Um, But there's lots of misinformation about that. So, some people are saying that the doctor is just someone who never got caught. Some people are saying that the doctor was actually Katarina, and she would send messages from a spare phone she had as, like, posing to be the doctor. And she would send messages telling, uh, you know, Clara and Skrlova that they had to do these things as part of his, I don't know, like, prescriptions. But... Um, Most of the articles seem to point to Katarina saying that she was eventually just, you know, pretending to be this doctor um, as a way to kind of give them an excuse to act this way. Like I said, there's not a lot of confirmation. This story is a mess, and there's so many different conflicting sides, so that's just kind of something that's printed a lot, and part of the reason why this one is, like, a two-part story almost. Um, another thing that's consistently mentioned in that is that the reason this abuse happened and these, cu- these reasons listed kind of come off very much like the Grail cult is trying to distance themselves from the actions that a few rogue members have taken. But what their statement was is that these people, these three, were offshoots trying to start their own various cults and indoctrinate the next generation. Um, So that's what they're saying happened. Like, that's why they were acting so differently than what the actual, you know, theology of the grail is. But like I said, to me, it just kind of sounds like they're trying to distance themselves from an international scandal. Um, I don't actually know if that's a direct quote from them or if that's just what people are saying as trying to give a reason to it but that's that for when it comes to Skrlova's involvement with the Marova sisters The rest of the story pretty much stays the same. In 2008, after she kind of escaped police detection in the Czech Republic, she showed up at a children's home in Norway, claiming to be homeless and abused, and said her name was Adam. At this point, she'd shaved her head, she'd bound her chest, she'd gotten a breast reduction, and ultimately she really looked like a 13-year-old boy. Um, The caretakers at the home took pity on her, saying that she was extremely skinny, very thin, very small for her age. Um, and they let her stay. There was a couple that ended up visiting the home who adopted Skrlova and enrolled her in a middle school near Oslo. Um, For months there, she fooled the teachers, she fooled counselors, her adopted parents, and the principal who had multiple visits with her into thinking that she was a 13-year-old boy. Uh, Later, these people were interviewed, and they said that because children at that age are so different and going through so many changes, they noticed some strange behaviors but ultimately had chalked it up to nothing, didn't think it was something that's as serious as it ended up being. She attended sixth grade classes and activities um, displaying these strange behaviors and talking about a very troubling home life but was never actually under suspicion for not being who she, she was later in december 2008 for a reason that's not really explained she left her adopted parents and the police were involved as a teenage runaway um so they sent out a search party they were looking for her and she was eventually located in the city of tromso which i guess is like this really remote arctic city um and taken into custody in January of 2009 was when a DNA test came back saying that not only was she not a 13-year-old boy named Adam, but she was, in fact, at this point, 34, and her name was Bar- Barbara Skerlova, And she was wanted in connection with the abuse cases that had made such headlines in the Czech Republic. So she was dep- transported back to the Czech Republic in connection to the case... And now that it was known that she wasn't a preteen, um, like she had been saying, and, and in fact a, an adult, she was charged in the child abuse cases along with Katerina and Clara. Um, this is the part which is, gets really annoying for those of us who like to hear like, oh, the bad guy goes away to jail. Um, they couldn't concretely connect her to, directly to the abuse. So the most that they were able to get her for was identity theft. And fraud and for that she only got a sentence of five years in prison Um, after two and a half years she was let out on probation because of her quote declining mental health while in the prison system and after that she just drops off the map like there's no news stories there's no any kind of record of what she does she basically disappears from the public eye Uh, Clara and Katerina only got 10 years, and they have since been paroled and released on probation, and have also disappeared. Um, It's not really said what happened to the boys. A lot of headlines just focus on, like, the adults and the scandal they caused, and just, you know, the horrifying facts that were revealed. But they really, after about 2018, they disappear. There's no record of them whatsoever. But that is the end of the absolutely wild story that they somehow inspired the orphan. Um, like I said, I feel like the orphan took like the tamest part of everything that happened and adapted it into a movie. They completely like there's so much more that could have happened, and if they had included it, it, probably wouldn't have made it such a good movie because it sounds so ridiculous. It's definitely a case of the truth is stranger than fiction, for sure. And so that's why we have one more story um this one's going to lean more heavily into the supernatural like i said um and i don't know if anybody's seen this movie it's on my list to watch but it has gotten really good reviews um and there is a couple scenes that are pulled directly from like family interviews which i think is very very cool um this is another one that i hadn't heard of But side note, fun thing about this podcast is I like to talk about women who've made history all over the world, and this is kind of a prime example for that. So, a quick summary of the story if you, like me, haven't seen it yet, but Veronica is set in Madrid, Spain, and the summary of the movie is, During a solar eclipse, a teenage girl and her friends want to summon the spirit of the girl's father using an Ouija board. However, during the session she loses consciousness and soon it becomes clear that evil demons have arrived. Um, The story kind of goes on to follow your typical haunting story. Um, There's lots of, you know, somehow people things and things are possessed and things are summoned and they don't close the Ouija board correctly. So of course now spirits wreak havoc on this world. But the interesting thing about this movie is the end note where it references this real-life case that I'm about to talk about. It all starts with young Estefania Gutierrez-Lazaro, who is a teenage girl who lived in the suburb of Vallecas, Madrid, with her family. Now, according to her family, they grew up very Catholic, but um, Estefania had always had kind of a pull towards the occult. Like, it's quoted as saying that she was, quote, no more interested in it than any other teenage girl, which honestly I kind of took personally. I feel like that's a very accurate depiction of young adult teenage, like, you know, when you're going through and finding interests. And so I thought that was funny. It's almost like a teenage girl's ride of passion. Um, but anyway, she grew up in a Catholic home. I think it's mentioned that she went to a Catholic school, and so her parents were very much aware of like her, you know, dabbling in the occult. Um, but it wasn't like anything more than any other normal teenage girl at that age. One day, Estefania decides to take her Ouija board to her school. And she decided because one of her friends had recently lost her boyfriend in a motorcycle accident. So they decided we're going to use this Ouija board to try and contact him and see if he has anything to say to us. Um, which is kind of sweet. That's kind of a sweet reason if you think about it. Like, oh, you're going to use it to help your friend. Um, but a teacher, and this is where it kind of is implied that she went to a like Catholic or a religious school because some sources say that it was a nun, um, found them performing with this Ouija board. And she ran in and grabbed the Ouija board and slammed it against the floor in the middle of whatever like ritual they were doing. Um, and at this point, according to her friends, who are a collection of, like, pre-tween girls, so I don't know how accurate it is, but according to her friends, it looked like black smoke was coming from the Ouija board and went directly into Estefania's mouth. Um... But from that day on, she starts having symptoms that doctors and psychologists can't find a physical cause for. You know, things like she gets constant seizures. She wakes up in the middle of the night screaming and saying that she's seeing all these shadow people. Um, She has hallucinations like at home, at school, and her entire personality changes. Um, She starts being really aggressive towards her brothers um, and communicating in gibberish languages. Um, Like I said, Estefania's family was Catholic, and they did believe in superstition. So later, when they were interviewed, they had a theory saying, we thought that she was possessed, but we thought that it was a grandfather that had passed on who was coming back and trying to get revenge against the family by possessing Estefania. Um, They still took her to all these doctors and psychologists, and nobody really found anything wrong with her except for all these things that she was reporting. So... Eventually, all this leads to Estefania's mysterious death in the middle of the night. Um, apparently her parents woke up because one of her brothers said that Estefania was having trouble breathing. They rush her to the hospital um, while she, where she starts seizing and it's there that she just ends up dying. The doctors couldn't do anything to help her. The nurses, nobody knew what was wrong or why this was happening. Um, but she was just 14 years old when this happened. The cause of death listed in the autopsy reports ended up being quote sudden asphyxiation, and this was on August eleventh, nineteen ninety one. So it was a while, I mean it was a while ago by our standards now, but like it was still during a time where we have modern medical technology. Like if there was something going on. At least after she had died, you would think that they would have found, like, oh, this was the underlying cause. Um, Instead, even, like, the coroners and medical staff were super confused and had no idea why this perfectly healthy 14-year-old suddenly just died of asphyxiation. Um, But the strange things didn't stop after her death. Um, At her home, her parents and siblings would report that they heard voices when nobody was around. There was appliances that would turn themselves on and off, you know, typical, like, haunting stuff. But her mother, and this part's really sad, and a lot of people kind of just discount this part as being a grieving mother, um, but her mother would have said that she would wake up in the middle of the night still hearing Estefania screaming. Um, so that's really sad. And I can see why people would kind of just attribute that to grief versus like a supernatural entity. I feel like a lot of these were probably explained away as grief. Um, but this changes a little bit. And this is actually a scene in the movie where they call the police after a picture of a Estefania falls off the, um, the mantle that they've been keeping it. It falls off and it just bursts into flames. Um, Of course, this is what parents report to police. There's obviously no way to, like, verify that actually happened. But it was interesting because when I was researching it, that is um, one of the events that actually made it into the movie. So police officers show up and just investigate the house. And really, I mean, who else are you going to call? I had to throw that one in there. But um, who are you going to call for something like this? Um, Maybe, like, a priest or someone, I guess. But, like who would really believe you at that point. So they call the police and they investigate, and this is something that's actually written in an official police report. And it's online, you could find it. It's all in Spanish, so you have to be a little good at reading Spanish at least. Um, But this is what's reported. In the middle of the night, Chief Inspector Jose Pedro Negri and three other policemen entered the house and confirmed the strange and mysterious events that would occur. Um, In the report, they say, quote, they could hear and observe how a door of a perfectly closed closet, which they verified later, opened suddenly and unnaturally, triggering a series of suspicious events. Other events in this report included, quote, there was a loud noise on the terrace where they could see that there was no one outside. On a table with the phone, there was a growing stain in brown with nothing else around it, like nothing to cause the stain. In another room, there was a crucifix where Christ was separated from the cross, and the poster that it was pictured on had scratches of unknown origin. Again, these aren't the most compelling pieces of evidence, but it was obviously enough that the investigators confirmed, in their opinion, that there was supernatural activity. And so in an official, which I just can't get over that, it's an official investigative report where they have this supernatural activity listed as the cause for the disturbances in this house. Um, So, I don't know. I feel like some of it is stretching it, like the scratches on the poster and the stain on the tablecloth, but having someone verify, like, okay, there was someone knocking outside and we all looked and there was nothing outside causing the knocking, you know, a door swinging open back and forth with no reason, all that's pretty suspicious to me. know it's up to you guys to decide if you actually believe that the supernatural entity caused the death of a 14 year old but i hope you guys enjoyed the story and also the story of the skrlova and Morova sisters um thank you guys so much for hanging out and i hope you enjoyed it if you liked this podcast it's a murderous affair and murder like m-u-r-d-e-r-e-s-s Affair. You can find me on pod, uh, what is it? Jesus. Apple Podcasts. There we go. Libsyn, uh, Spotify, anywhere that you stream podcasts. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Frumius Reads. F-R-U-M I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram. Basically any and all social media. So, thank you guys so much for listening and hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>